0: Welcome to New Jersey Tech Meetup, the podcast. Each episode, we bring you a huge amount of value from past keynotes at our events, fireside chats, and much, much more. Tune in to hear from entrepreneurs such as Gary Vaynerchuk, James Altisher, and your host, Aaron Price. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we can't wait to share more episodes with you in the future. So with that, we're going to invite up Mona Patel on what is FOMO. How many people know what FOMO is? I think this might be your first question, but how many, I'm just curious because I didn't when she told me this was a topic name. Come on, give me some. See, not that many. I know. We'll see. All right, well, let's, let's welcome her up again anyway. Come on. on your badges, actually, I think the name of this title is something different, because uh, Aaron uh, Aaron and I have known each other for a couple years. I uh, have a background in user experience and have designed a bunch of interfaces. And he said, why don't you just come up here and tell people kind of what makes sites and apps suck. And I was like, I don't want to be mean. That's so mean. But there is so much testosterone up on this stage right now, I think I could have killed it being mean. It would have been really fun to be like, that sucks, and that sucks, and that sucks. But what I did instead kind of turn it and focus a little bit more on what makes design successful and the designs can be mobile they can be websites but this is really um, a short long answer to the most kind of common question I get about design which is what should I know you know I know that this team here especially those of you who are coming up with an idea don't have the funding to hire someone who focuses on user experience so the question I often get is well what do I think about what's important and I've tried to distill everything I know in terms of that answer into a quick 10 minute talk to cover it. Um, So FOMO UX, you guys said you don't know what FOMO is. FOMO is a phenomenon that really deals with, it's called fear of missing out. And it's why you check your phone when you're at a conference. Or why you're on your phone when you're sitting next to a beautiful woman having dinner. It's because something better might be on my phone. You know, this idea of being connected of always uh, knowing what's out there, it could be better, it could be worse, doesn't matter, I just need to know. That's the idea behind FOMO. Um, And you can think through, I hope, examples in your life where uh, you have wanted to be that connected. And connected, if you break that down, remember, user experience is kind of this hybrid between design and psychology, so we break everything down into psychology. So as you think about it, what is connected? There's one, which is what else is out there. You know can I tap into what's out there can I make sure I'm connected to a community almost uh, to be a part of something bigger than myself and the others because we're human and we don't want to be alone and it's about establishing a connection that's what uh, tools like Twitter and LinkedIn do they allow you to establish connections that's the beauty of this app right here that I love Aaron. you know it, it reminds you there's something else out there there's something else going on I need to tap into that this talk isn't about FOMO but it is about FOMO UX. And when I break that down, the fear of missing out, what is it that you need to think about? What is it that you need to know? Almost everything comes back to connectivity. You know, this idea of how are you helping your users stay connected or be connected? Um, And that breaks down into four fairly simple, I hope, um, categories. And we'll go through each one and I'll show you examples of sites that do well in each one. My guess is you were, if you were to write down right now, or just think about if you're tired because it's the afternoon, um, a site, an experience that let you feel more connected to another, whether it's a group or community or a person, and or a site that you use as an example of how badass you are and how connected you are to the community, it will likely align to one of these four. But I'm really curious if it does or it doesn't because I kind of guess. So let me know if not. Um, The first is interaction. So if you look at interaction, when I started in this field, and I look a lot younger than I actually am, that was about 15, I hope, 15 years ago, uh, it was all about helping people get from point A to point B quickly and easily. Remove burdens. Right? So that's what usability is a a lot about. If you get in people's way, if you overcomplicate something, they just won't do it. And one of our Bibles in the field of user experience is don't make me think. That's essentially what it's about. You know, get out of the user's way and just allow them to get from point A to point B. Today, that is not the best practice. Simplicity is king, but delightfulness is queen. And you all know who runs the house, right? <laughs> so thinking about that, how is that translated to websites? And how is that translated to, to mobile? It isn't about picking the easiest, simplest way for someone to do a task. It's about adding that magic, that delightfulness that gets them to get excited that gets them to tell other people about the experience. It makes it enjoyable. And so if you look at things ranging from like 3D panning on the paper app or the Condition One app, where you have the app and you can actually turn your iPad to see different parts of the screen or of a, a picture, you know that's delightful. You may not even know that it, that would have existed. But the idea is that you're pulling people in. You're connecting them to the brand, to the overall experience. You look at the dancing Coke machine, where you actually have to dance to get a Coke. Coke is one of our clients, So that was hopefully a great example. Uh, The yawn activated coffee machine, where you have to yawn and you get a free coffee. You know, this isn't intuitive. It isn't clear that this is what I need to do to actually get a coffee or actually get a Coke. But it's fun, but it's the story that you're going to tell someone else about when you think of kind of the best experience or a cool experience or a fun experience. I'm guessing that's what you guys are aiming to do with your startups. So this is kind of category one which is interactions are fast and easy, king, um, in context, and delightful, queen. The second is appearance. We all like beautiful things. Um, And if you think of people, when you boil down uh, beauty in a person, it's really about symmetry. In the same way, we can kind of break down or boil down the beauty of interfaces by a set of principles. It really comes down to color and tone and presentation of content, the amount of white space, Contrast. There's there's kind of principles around all of this that allow us to gauge whether something is beautiful or not. It's the same stuff that you gauge, or that you use to gauge whether it's beautiful or not. And we're seeing a couple kind of trends in this space with appearance. It is highly subjective. The thing with appearance that I'm here to talk about more is how you uh, present as your current. So there's things like flat design where you're moving out of the user's way, simplifying icons so that it's clear how to click on something and what that's there for. There is an unnecessary baggage around it. That's not necessarily more beautiful though. Many people would say it is. It just means that the appearance aligns with today's standards. So it shows that you're current. It shows that you were designed last year or this year and probably not before that. Um, The second is kind of in blurs and in color. We're seeing examples like this where with the Rise app, you use color as navigation, kind of points back to the delightfulness that I mentioned before. And the third, I think, has already been brought up, is kind of the Pinterestization of the web. Way too many pictures, but people like them. You know, so as you think about what are people doing right now, again, for that connection, when it comes to appearance, these are three of the stronger trends right now, probably won't be true in six months, but right now, um, to to kind of get that connectivity. The third is attitude. Your users care about one thing, me. You know, it's all about what I need, when I need it. And the apps that are more current, that are making kind of more of an imprint today, uh, fulfill that. So if you look at some of the examples here, some are more obvious, like Spotify and Flipboard. There's a Domino's Pizza Tracker that tells you where my pizza is. Um, there is uh, Google Now, of course. Um, but a co- also a couple other apps that allow you to shop in store. So again, you know, part of this is you know who I am. Part of this is you're making something easier or faster for me. Uh, and part of this is you know me. All of these three things are very current when it comes to user experience. Very current when it comes to the connectivity that people have to an app. I'm going through fast as I promised. Um, and the last is that it's actually not all about me, right? Back to the beginning with FOMO UX, it's about connections. It's about making sure that although you're serving me from an efficiency perspective, you're connecting me from a broader perspective about you know who I am and, and where I belong. So if we look at examples like that, things like Zipcar, you know, where I feel a part of a community. Even Google Glass, who wears them, who doesn't? Kickstarter, which has come up before. And Fitbit, the ability to share my information. So although these tools, these sites, these brands have a benefit to me, a big part of the benefit is a community that I now belong in as a result of using this interface or being a part of that brand. So again, with those four, if you look at kind of user experience as a whole, how do I understand what users need and how do I design to match the need of those users? Part of it is that they don't know, and they're expecting over-delivery on any one of these, or all of the four quadrants. That's the 10 minute. I know we're a little behind on time, so I promise to help catch us up. Any questions? And design? Yeah? One quick question for you. Sure. Out of the four areas, if you're on an extremely limited budget, yeah. you not saying, I hate saying it depends, but it really is about the app, you know. So if there are other apps out there, or if your play is around appearance, that you want to have a more beautiful way to do something, that should be your play. Like I'm working on an app right now because it's fun, um, and it's all an appearance play, you know. It, it's functionality that exists elsewhere, but it's just a more beautiful way to do it as a result. Um, social is another play, right? There may be ways for me to book travel by myself but I may be thinking about an app that allows me to connect with other people, that connectivity is what's going to make kind of my value proposition higher. So that is your play. Usually it's a combination, but it really just depends on kind of your value proposition and then which one maps to that. That is a good question. Others? Yes, overall? I think people are so stupid, it has to be. He asked if the overall trend for simplicity is a good thing. Uh, You know, we don't want to think, even if we could think. We don't want to think. But the challenge or the the kind of intersection that you're looking for is, I don't want to think, but I want to have fun. You know, so I'm completely fine not thinking, and especially if it's something mundane. But if there's a, a more fun way for me to engage, that might be a different play. So I think simplicity's only been challenged by delightfulness in the past year, year and a half. But prior to that, the trend was simplifying everything. If you think about kind of what we did at the time, like when you had to deposit a check, what you actually had to go through 10 years ago to deposit a check, simplicity was the right play. Right now, it's where you know take a picture and post it. And there's a lot of cooler things that are happening in the mobile banking space that trump simplicity, that make it a little bit more fun, more engaging, more connected. Yeah? Huh. Do you uh,
1: A-B testing uh, your designs? I love
0: A-B testing. It's cheap. I mean, cheap. I love the ghetto testing. That's awesome, too. I mean, even though I'm not making money when you do that, it's fantastic. No, AB testing, for those of you who don't know, basically, let's say uh, it's a button. And you want to see if I'm simplifying this tremendously. Uh, Yellow or blue, if one impacts conversion, you put both out to different markets, and you just see what happens. Uh, It's a great way to measure The thing is, it's already out there. And you could have known earlier. So I believe in AB testing, especially for the cost benefit. But sometimes, I think it was too much of a risk to take it all the way to the point where you launched to find that out. And you could have figured out something like that Um, or any number of things around content, presentation, navigation, earlier through ghetto testing. Yes. Hi. Yeah, uh, in, uh, in general, there are some that seem overly complicated. Like I know, for example, I'm going to pick mobile just as an example. He said, what is it, an example of a trend that is maybe not a great thing? Um, on mobile, you'll see, because of flat design, people are kind of moving up and down on scroll and then focusing on the z-axis to kind of layer images. That shit's confusing. You know, and I've seen it in usability testing. Now, whether people will overcome the simplicity because that's fun, that's yet to be seen. But when you do things because it's cool and it makes no sense to people, people tend not to like it. So that's a good example, I think, of right now. I mean, you know, it could change because of just people adopting that standard. But right now, when we've tested something like that, people find it over-designed and the brand is trying too hard. So especially in a startup kind of situation, that would be something that I'd uh, advise against. I think um, also kind of thin fonts on white backgrounds, like light fonts on white backgrounds, the contrast, things like that. We tested that years before and it's coming back again now. People are, tend to trust that less. You know, you don't, you're not as transparent, if you think of it again, from the psychology of a design perspective. So there's, there's nuances in detailed design that influence how people think about the brand. And some of those mistakes, I think, are probably bigger than any kind of large trend around like fade, fade designs. Yes. How do you deal with your clients and the challenge of revenue generation, which inevitably, in the world we live in, needs to trap user experience and all-encompassing large ads? So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, how do we deal with, this, with the With a smaller company or with the larger company? Because we do both. Both. Okay. Um, the answer is kind of different in both, but I'll try to I'll try to make this clear. Part of the reason why I was so interested in user experience was uh, for, for the smaller startups is I think that you guys get it more than the big companies. Um, when you see something that's easy, when you see something that is intuitive, when you add in that level of interplay and fun, it tends to hit the mark on what you wanted or what your dream was for that app or that site. When you work with a larger Fortune 500 company, as much as they have the revenue and the power to not have an ad-based revenue model or throw money more at user experience, the passion isn't necessarily there, and the decisions can sometimes side more on technology or on business, less on user experience. So it's this really fine and complicated interplay where the smaller businesses don't have the money, but they have the passion, so you drive on the passion. And the larger companies have the money, don't have the passion, you try to increase the passion. You try to get more people involved. I mean, that's why there's a lot of training in a Fortune 500 company, to help people understand what usability or user experience is altogether. I don't think I need to do that here. You know, I think you guys can all point to an example of a design that you like and one that you're using as a metric for your own. So I don't know if that answers a question, but that's kind of what I think about when it, when it comes to how do I persuade someone to invest in user experience. Yeah. So one of the projects that we were working on. This seemed boring to me when I started it. So I don't know. Maybe it's more fun for you guys. But um, it's a company that has 60 to 70 percent of their workforce retiring in the next five years. Um, so they're freaking out because a lot of the knowledge that they have, and it's a it's a huge company around how to run the business. For example, uh, in an earthquake, you know how to actually make something happen and still meet production goals will all go away in the next couple of years. Um, they want this older audience to. Kind of download everything they know into a digital interface so that the younger population can pull from it they're not going to do that because then you're gonna fire me so you have a wealth of information we can't actually get it to go to to a digital medium you have the younger audience which by the way if it sits there are they going to use I can figure it out myself Um, and so that was I think a good challenge where it seemed boring at the beginning because it's kind of enterprise internal application but we had some pretty cool games and interactive ways for people to feel less threatened and more engaged in that process. And we're able to do it. So um, I think that you know, it's fun. Fun is one example. Delightful can be uh, interpreted in a different way. And delightful can be beautiful. Delightful can be fun. Delightful can be engaging. So you have to figure out kind of what is the trigger that's going to change a behavior. And then once you understand that psychology, you can design to meet that psychological need with that psychological goal. I promise to her, yeah, one more? A nice one? What are your top three favorite apps? That's the other question that I always get asked. I'm not allowed to name mine, right? (laughs) Um, No, I, uh, top three favorite apps. I love um, all of the camera apps, because I have two kids. So I take a lot of pictures of them, uh, and it's really fun. So anything from Instagram to cameras, because that fulfills my need of feeling like a good mom. Um, I love the Rise app, which I showed earlier, which is an alarm clock, because I hate setting alarms. It usually means I have something to do important tomorrow, and it's a very calming way for me to do that. So it changes my psychological state in a task that I don't like, so that's probably two. Um, I'm not going to name any productivity apps because I don't like to be productive. <laughs> um, I'd say the third would be, they're all, it's all functional, it is all functional that I'm thinking of in my head. You know, I'm thinking Spotify, I'm thinking email, I'm thinking the things that allow me to do stuff that I wasn't able to do on the go before and now I can do, which is productivity, unfortunately. But, you know, that does save me a lot of time. So again, back to me. So I kind of use that as a teaching point, but I pulled all three, I think, of those. From there, Cool, I'm around if you guys have any other questions. Uh, I think that's it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on our future episodes. From the team at New Jersey Tech Meetup, we hope you're having a great day, and we look forward to spending more time with you in the future.